Hey folks, it's time for another episode of the High Power Archery Podcast. This is podcast episode number 38, and it's going to be all about practicality. And we have a very special guest today. Uh, it's Jason Samkowiak of the Traditional Bow Hunting and Wilderness Podcast. And I'll just tell you, if anyone embodies the word practicality, it's this gentleman. And it's such a good thing to have someone like him on this podcast with all his experience that he has. And I think he'll bring a lot to what you guys are looking for out there. Anyway, Jason, thanks for joining us. Ah, very happy to be here. I'm glad you you invited me. Uh, I, I tell you, I've been I've been watching your videos online. I had come across them, and you know, the, my mentor in hunting and who brought me up in archery, you and him have embodied kind of like the same sort of thing when it comes to how you approach things. You know, not not taken in by all the gadgets and stuff. And if you get something you wanted to like last you a long time and actually be worth what you're spending your money on. And I think that's something that's been lost in today's day and age. Um, but first, you know, that's why I thought it'd be perfect for you to come on here. Because what I try to communicate to all my students and to my customers, because I run a PSE dealership that I run out of my house. It was really just um, really set up so that I can get my students equipment at decent prices because the prices these days are outrageous for everything. So every dollar that they spend, it's got to be made to last them. And then, you know, I told people, I said, you know, listen to, to, to this guy's podcast. I think you might be interested. And a couple of the parents were like, where did you find this? Because he's got stuff not just about hunting and, and equipment. He's got stuff about life on there. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> he really does. <laughs> so um, if you just take a minute, tell tell the audience a little bit about yourself, and then we'll get to what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, yeah, I've been kind of a self-taught bow hunter. You know, nobody in my family ever ever hunted, and I got into it when I was 19 years old. And uh, I killed my first year with a compound at 19. And then I uh, immediately went to traditional bow hunting. I've been traditional bow hunter ever since. And, uh, you know, hunting kind of just took it by storm. And I became very passionate about it. But the whole learning on your own, nobody there to show you. This is back before Internet was even around, any of this kind of stuff, you know. So it's it was all an interesting learning curve and, uh, you know, trying to do it on my own and I just kind of gravitate to it, but like I said, I've I've just uh, I love doing it, and I've been able to hunt a lot of different places and hunt a lot of different animals and put a whole lot of meat in the freezer and um, do it all with a traditional bow, and it's it's just been a lot of fun. And and um, you know, I started the traditional bow hunting and wilderness podcast uh, back in twenty twenty twelve, I want to think something like that, about twenty twelve, somewhere in there, and uh, to try and help, you know, like you're doing, educate people, spread the word, teach them some stuff, things like that, help them uh, sort their learning curves up. And, you know, here it is. One thing leads to another. And next thing you know, it's a podcast and a YouTube channel and courses and all kinds of stuff. And I uh, loving every minute of it. Yeah. You know, it, it's like I, was, I mentioned my, my mentor taught me how to, how to hunt and do everything else. And his big thing was, listen, you're going to come across a lot of stuff. There's going to be the, the new, new thing out there. Cause you know, the the one thing that kind of like when when I saw your video about, oh, well, camo, camo is a fat, a fat. you know, until they, they came out with this thing where where they said, oh, this is the style. Let's just start doing this. Did anyone ever see Fred Bear in complete, you know, camo really? No. He wore, you know, plain clothes. He was out there doing his thing, getting five, ten feet away from grizzly bears. And it's just because it became a marketing thing. All of a sudden, all these companies came out. We got this pattern. We got this pattern. And it has its place in certain things, but again, it's like an example of things that they bring out there. It's money making, and sometimes it's not all that more that that much more practical. And the same thing happens with gadgets they come out for for camping, gadgets they come out for for archery. And the archery business has turned into a thing where every year they just start throwing new things at you, and they say, "Oh, this is better. This is better." And then, not for nothing, I mean, the kids. I deal with a lot of kids. It's mostly kids that I train. I train a lot of adults, that sort of thing. And I I can't count the number of times where they see something new in the catalog or on a YouTube video. They're like, hey, 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 I, got, I need you to help me get this thing. And I'm like, what are you going to get that for? Oh, because it's going to make me better. It's going to make me better. And especially now, this time of year, I deal with a lot of people who are, you know, hunting season here in New York, New Jersey is just going to get started. In New York, it starts on the 1st, and they actually started an early season already and all these guys panic last minute, and they think that buying the most expensive thing is going to get them something. But what I try to tell them is put the brakes on, stop, and just think about what you're doing. Because in the end, 
if you're if you're really really trying to improve what you're doing the implement if you change it unless you're using something that's completely nonsense it's not going to make that big a difference it really comes from you and one of your episodes that you put out there has to do with if people concentrated more on learning I, i'm don't i may misquote you but if people concentrated more on learning about what they're doing when it comes to hunting instead of the gadgets they're going to go out there and get, like just researching all the time they're spending on YouTube, looking at the new gadgets to help them hunt better. If they became better hunters to begin with, they'd be, you know, saving a lot of time and wind up doing their, their thing a lot easier. What do you think? I would agree with that. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And it's, uh, it's gear related. It's hunting tactics related. It's, it's, um, archery related it's in the woods and woodsmanship related and it all comes down to um you know i mean there's a phrase it was said a long time ago that i stuck with it sticks with you you know and that was uh, the more you know the less you need <laughs> and it's very valuable yeah and uh, it doesn't matter if you're talking about survival or and it doesn't matter what it is the more you know the less you need and everybody tries to find a shortcut route, some kind of a gizmo gadget or twiz whizzler that's going to make life easier for them. And, and they don't exist. And more often than not, they complicate things way more um, than they benefit stuff. I get these questions all the time. Why do you, are you trying out this new tree stand? How about these new sticks? Did you? No, I'm not doing any of that stuff. I developed a system 10 years ago that works flawless for me, and there's nothing out there that's going to do better. It does exactly what I want. I know it inside and out, and it's as simple and effective as there is, so that's what I continue to use. You know, so there's a lot of that stuff out there, and you're right. Everybody wants a piece of the money. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you talk about the camo stuff. Look at, you know, Look at the early days. Look at Howard Hill. Look at, uh, you know, Saxon Pope, Art Young. These guys were hunting in suit. They were hunting in dress pants, dress shirts, and a tie with a tie yep. tucked into their buttons, you know, exactly. um, and because they wanted to portray hunting a, on a professional level, and they realized they didn't need camel, you know. And so, you know, like I said, I and I think that stuff hinders, like camel, for example, I think the camel actually ruins more hunts than it helps for a lot of people because today, Everybody feels that they have to have scent control and they got to have scent control uh, equipment or clothing and they have to keep this stuff washed, dried in scent detergent soap, reactivate the scent lock suit, keep them stored in scent free containers, safe and stored and all this stuff. And then wear their clothes out to the woods when they get there, put on change into these clothes. All that stuff means that people are giving up hunting opportunities because of their limitations of their clothing. Where me, I can be, it can be two o'clock in the afternoon, or it can be, I'll say it's 11 o'clock in the afternoon on a October 5th, and I just got done working and I got two hours free. I can throw my bowl in my pack and my stand in my, in my truck. I can drive, you know, 20 minutes away, climb up a tree, sit there for an hour and a half, and then be back for my five o'clock meeting, and I may kill something in that time, but I'm in the same clothes I've been wearing all day. So people won't do those kind of hunts. They won't go out for an hour before work in the morning in their, in their work clothes or go out an hour after work as soon as they come home in their work clothes because they feel that they cannot be in the woods unless they get into this camouflage type setup. And it's way too much work to do all that and recharge everything and reprotect it and all that stuff. So they're giving up a lot of opportunity to be in the woods hunting by being restricted by these camel clothes and uh, these, these systems and, uh, you know, th this methods that they feel that you have to do in order to kill an animal. And, you know, not for nothing, some of the money that they spend on these things, they could they could spend that taking a week off of work and going hunting, like you said before. You know, I've seen, you know, Sitka outfits that go way over thousands of dollars. And I'm like, yep. really? For, for real? I, my, my ex, you know, my extent of what I do for camo, not for nothing, I've got, uh, a camo jacket that my dad gave me. That's about it. Um, other people have, you know, I've, I've gotten other stuff when I find it in Kmart or something like that. When Kmart was around or Walmart and my, my pants that I have, they're like these cheap Levi's pants. They're like tactical pants, but they're flexible. They do everything. I think they were like 30 bucks and they work for everything. And I've had a pair of those for like three years already and never, never been seen by anything out there. So it's really, really you know, a practicality sense when it comes to that. And I try to convey that to people and they look at me like I have my head upside down sometimes until I actually take them out of the woods. Cause I, I take my students out sometimes. I'm like, all right, we're going to, we're going to see this. And uh, one of my 14 year olds got, got her first deer last year. 
And I teach them, listen, you don't limit – they're shooting compounds. I'm like, you, if you're going to use a compound, use it to what its abilities are. If you can shoot for whatever distance accurately, then that's fine. And the same thing, I have another student um, who's, who's shooting a trad bow because I shoot both and I teach both. And I tell them, I said, if you can do it and you can do it effectively, then go ahead, knock yourself out, no problem. But I do tell, like, my, my girl with the compound, she got her first deer. She got an 11-point buck at, like, 42 yards, and I was so proud of her. And she was like, oh, that was great. Now I want a bigger challenge. I said, okay, fine. You ever want to try a trad bow? She goes, oh, yeah, let's do that. So now I'm tra- teaching her to do that. But when it comes to the kid with the trad bow, which I was working with on Saturday, I said, listen, you, you're, you've already got this thing that you have to practice a lot. He goes, yeah, but I'm probably not going to be able to kill anything because – you know, I'm using this. I've got, what, five yards range? I said, no. Maybe your range is 20 yards. It's whatever it is you can shoot effectively. But I'll tell you one thing. You can kill as many deer, if not more, than somebody can do with a compound. He's like, that makes no sense. I said, it really does because the fact that you may be limited in your distance means you're going to have to become a way better hunter at what you're doing, and you're going to learn how to get closer and quieter and all that. And if you do that, trust me, the opportunities you get are going to be way more than somebody else using the compound just using the distance at their advantage. And he's like, well, that kind of makes sense. And I took him in the woods and actually taught him about trails and stuff like that, what to look like, what to look for. And his, like, mind was blown. And the same thing, he he had said, you know, I'm using a climber tree stand. And with the climber tree stand, I have to go this, and I have to hook up to the tree, um, but it's kind of awkward. And I, that's when I broke out the alignment belt that you have your instructions for building, and I built it exactly like the way you have it. And I'll tell you, I've never been up a tree faster or safer than with that thing. And I showed him that. I said, you see this? You don't buy this. You buy the parts for it. You make it yourself. And as other things come out, you might be able to improve it because I think you have a couple of different versions of it. And as we got up the tree and all, he's like, but it's so much faster like this. I'm like, yes, because if you research the things that are important and not gadgety, it'll work for you. It kind of like just blew their mind. And I don't think anyone before you has ever thought about putting in a sender on alignment belt. <laughs> or anything like that, and it just makes it so much simpler. But it's that sort of thing that I think makes you stand apart from other people because you build something, you improve it, and you're always looking for the best way to do something, but it doesn't necessarily mean investing a lot into it. Or if you're going to invest something, you're going to make sure that that investment is going to get you a long way and for a long time. You're going to get your money's worth and more out of it. Yeah, you're exactly right. And with that guy with the – you know, with the girl that, you know, killed that 11 point, congratulations yeah. to her. And, uh, in chasing, uh, you know, the, the next best thing or the more of a challenge, that that's amazing. That's awesome. And then the guy with the traditional stuff, um, you know, if it makes him feel any better, if he listens to this, you're right. You're limited with traditional stuff. I, I kind of stick to a 20 and under rule myself too. Um, matter of fact, I just recorded a podcast called 20 and under and why we stick to that and why it is. It's, it'll go live in like two weeks, but that's the one that I recorded was called 20 and under. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, but realistically out of the 150 or 170 animals that I've killed, I'll bet you that if I were to average it out, um, my average shot distance is about nine yards. I'm guessing, um, with, so, I mean, I, I kill a lot of them at four yards and I kill a lot of them at 12 yards. And uh, I can count on one hand, how many I've shot that were beyond 20 yards. Yeah. Um, so he doesn't have, you know, the, the distance doesn't matter. And, and you are 100% right about, um, be a, a traditional bow hunter has to be a better bow hunter and and they may not start out that way, but they're going to become that way in order to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, they will be forced to look at all of the things that everybody else overlooks, uh, to learn how to identify every little detail in the woods that can tell you something and where to set up and how to do it. And that only comes out of a forced nature. The traditional bow forces you to have to do that and push it because otherwise you're going to keep sitting in trees and then you're going to keep watching deer walk by you at 30 yards and 40 yards and you're going to realize that you're not quite putting it together so you're going to have to learn the stuff that changes that then get you into that 10 yards 11 yards 15 yards 20 yards um having them walk right under you that's where you'll need to be and you you're forced to do that so in my opinion i 100 percent agree that as a traditional bow hunter you're going to be much better of a bow hunter and it's not an ego thing and it's not an arrogance thing and it's not an attitude thing. It's strictly forced by the type of bow we use and hunt with. And it, it, you have no choice to do that. There are times 
that I can walk into the woods and uh, I walk in and I'm going, okay, here's exactly where I want to spot. This is where I want to hunt. I got a rub line coming through here, three scrapes right there. I got two crisscrossing trails right here and then three more parallel trails there. I'm in a perfect funnel. This is exactly where I want to set up at. And then I will stand there for 45 minutes trying to go that tree or that tree, that tree or that tree. They're five yards apart. But for me, that five yards is literally a quarter of my shooting distance. So I yeah. have to make that decision and it can be that hard to do. So like I said, it's, um, you know, um, it, it's a whole different world from that aspect. Uh, you know, and, but and it's things that he has to think about, you know, but there's, you want to be the ultimate hunter, in my opinion, spend a few years and, you know, with, with a traditional bow in your hand and it will change everything about the way you hunt because it will force you to, there is no gizmo, no gadget, no, uh, thing that you can buy, no specialty thing that you can use, no scent detector thing, no ozonic stuff. There is nothing that can put you inside of 10 yards of deer on a regular basis other than skills that are developed figuring out how to be inside of 10 years or 10 yards of deer on a regular basis. It's the only thing that can do it for you. There is no learning curve to it, nor shortcuts, no anything. So um, that skill set, like you said, as you said earlier, if people would focus more on what the woods can teach them rather than what they can buy to outdo or beat the woods, they'd be so much further along. You know, I mean, you see, I watch so many people that we hunt with that will just smash through a place and not pay any attention, you know, and, and they're just trying to get to a particular spot. But when they start, a traditional bull hunter will never do that. They have to pay attention to what's going on. Why are the trails going through here? Which way are the tracks going on the trails? What cover are they coming to? Where are they going from? Why is this like this? Why is this deer poop over here, but the trail's over here? What brought that deer over to this spot? What's he browsing on? Why is he over here? Um, you know, all these variables, you, you're constantly paying attention to everything um, because the woods can teach you stuff. And then you come home. And instead of looking at the next uh, best tree stand or climbing sticks or uh, bow stabilizer or peep sight, you start looking at how deer behave. And you, you will be on the, the hunting stuff and start looking into the biology and the studies that have been done and the things like that and start learning what they eat in your area, what they eat at what time, what acorns are tannic, which ones are sweet, which ones, how long it takes for them to uh, lose their tannic acids in them and, and tone down the bitterness before they'll eat them. You learn these things and then you start becoming a better hunter, but you cannot buy that. You cannot get that in a, in a tool or a gizmo or a tactic. It has to be learned. And that's, that's the difference. That's what sets the people apart. You know, um, that kind of stuff. You look at people like Dan Infall, you know, I mean, in his heyday when he was killing all these big deer on public land when nobody else was doing it, the guy hunted as much as he could, but he scouted 24 seven all year long. And he would be out there and he would literally lay down in a deer bed in the middle of the snow and stare out in every direction and take notes on a notepad for 15 minutes, trying to figure out why that deer was there, why he's, what he's planning on doing, where his security comes from on what window, you know, all these things that come into play that you can only be taught from the woods itself and you can't buy it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, um, I, I teach the hunter safety course here in New York, and that's how a lot of people come to me. That's where they know me from. And they'll ask me all kinds of questions when I'm doing a course. And when COVID hit, they kind of like locked those down, and then we didn't have them in person for over a year. And they went to online for that. When they went to online, that I said, like, this is the beginning of the end. This is bad for, for us because people can't learn from videos and stuff like that that they have on there because they're leaving out all the practicality stuff. I'm like, how can, like, when the class we would teach, well, you don't sit down with a with an arrow with a broadhead in your pocket because you might cut your femoral artery and you're dead. You know, things like that. But you never hear things like that on these videos. So I, I, I felt like they lost the whole, the whole like, experience and, and practical part of things, and that kind of, like, annoyed me. Now we're trying to bring the stuff back, but it's not, uh, it's not going fast for sure. But getting back to the whole traditional thing, I mean, I hunt with a trad bow, um, and I hunt with a compound, and I'll usually take my, my buck or something like that with the compound because where I go hunting along cornfields, I get a little bit of a longer distance, whatever it is. But my for me, when I tell people about compounds, like compounds is a lot more complicated because there's a lot more that you have to worry about 
you know, is my peep site screwed up? Is my site banged up? Did it bend? Did something happen? But with my trad bow, I check my brace height. It's good. Okay, I'm going. I'm out there. If I rip my string, I put another one on. It's not a big deal. It, it's so much simpler, and I actually find it more enjoyable to do that. So when people are asking me, hey, which one should I go with? I tell them, listen, it's a, it's a real personal choice what you're going to do, but look at it like this. I teach more people compound than anything else because it's a faster path for them as far as becoming proficient because that instant gratification thing, I can't get away from it. When COVID hit, we had a whole bunch of people come to us. Oh, I want to learn archery. I'm stuck in the house because I can't go to work because they closed down my job. I want to get outdoors. I want to learn archery. But then if they find out, like, well, they're shooting a trad bow, it's going to take a while before they can actually get the hang of it. And if I, the way I teach them, it's I'm certified with USA Archery and all that, but I teach them the system and show them, like, you have to adapt it to yourself and you'll get better at it. And some of them are like, okay, fine. And then the other people are like, no, this is not for me. I want to shoot compounds. I want to be able, you know, compound, I think you said, there's a couple of lessons. You're able to shoot 20 or 30 yards, whatever it is. You know, there's other things that will happen eventually, like that little flare will go away and you'll start getting pa- target panic and stuff like that. But if it's not instant for them, like I was saying, when they when they go looking for something to help them get better right away, these people get turned off by it. And, you know, trying to f- keep that level of interest with it is not not always easy. But when it comes to things like going back to the practical aspect of things, if it's practical to do something that's simpler, you know, um, then that usually works. And if you want to complicate it and do all kinds of crazy things like that and go for the latest thing that comes out, hey, more power to you. Sometimes there are things that come out that will help you improve no matter what. Like for years, I was lugging around a summit climber stand, and there's nothing wrong with them. They're built tough and all that. And then I came across, you know, your your videos with the lone wolf and how you've gotten up there and all that. And I actually tested it between a climbing stand and a, and a lone wolf. I can probably get up fa- just as fast, if not faster, with the lone wolf and the sticks than I can on the climbing stand. And I feel a little bit more safer up there than I do with the other one. So people ask me, like, what should I do now? Like, let me show you. <laughs> you take a look, tell me what you think. And then they get very impressed by it. Like, wow, you know, you just got this thing. You can go up that fast. I'm like, you have to practice. You just don't go into the woods after you get it in the box the day before and see how that works. But it, it goes to speak that sometimes – new stuff does come out that is just easier to use, but it has to be looked at from, is this really going to help me? And there are very few things that will actually help you more, but I think that sort of thing is like what you bring out to people and you say, hey, this is what I do. This is what I've always been doing. When the hunting bees came out with their stand, you're like, this is a great stand in your review. It's wonderful. Do I need it? It's, It's great, but I don't need it. I don't have to spend the money on it. You know, you had gotten one as a gift from somebody. I don't have to spend the money on it because my other stand may be a little bit heavier, but does exactly the same thing. You know, if they give it to you, of course you're going to use it. But when someone's looking at something like that, it's that kind of practicality that I think gives them a lot of value as to, you know, helping them train, change the way that they think. Um, my neighbor upstate New York, who I hunted with for years, and, you know, he passed away last year, but he was probably – he was a very old soul in the way that he thought about things. Like if he bought a bow, he wanted that bow to last him 10 years, whatever it was. And then he, then he buy something else. And the one thing that he told me, he had a saying that it was, it sticks in my head all the time. And he said to me, simplicity will beget success. No matter what, the more complicated the, that you're going to make something, the more chance something's going to go wrong. So for me, listening to that is kind of like, when, when I see your podcast and your stuff and the way the approach you take to doing things, it's very, very much the same thing. But um, I, I, I think I, you know, I, I understand where you're coming from. Like if I, even though loan will, the loan will stand, you've used that for years. You know, if someone's got limited funds to get, you know, do they buy the hunting piece? Cause it's so, so, so much lighter, you know, or the other, if you can do it fine, if it's going to be your first stand, maybe you want to invest in something like that. But I think there's a fine line in what you're going to do and the way that you present it just just makes sense to people. Right. Yeah. And with it, like you said, I, I was I have been very interested in a beef stand um, because especially somebody like me who's in a stand, you know, I hang 150 stands a year, uh-huh. you know, up and down a tree. So for me, something like that would be a great thing. But, um, you know, my system has worked great for me. I don't mind carrying a weight. I get really upset with the lightweight fat. Everybody's all about lightweight, lightweight, lightweight. 
And uh, it's not like we're carrying this thing for three days on our back. You're carrying it for most people, 15 minutes to a half hour hike into the woods. Exactly. And then you're going to hang it on a tree and sit in it and carry it for 15 minutes to a half hour out. Maybe an hour on an occasional hunt for 10% of the people in and out, you know. But most people, 15 minutes to a half hour hike in and then you're hanging it. So what does it matter if the whole setup is, is three pounds different, you know. Um, so I get I get kind of fed up with that stuff, but. I do love that B stand. Now I, it is not proven to me yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I've hung it a dozen times, but it's not been through a whole season. If I use it, it gets through a whole season um, and nothing breaks and everything's great. And it holds up like I fully anticipated to, then it'll, you know, maybe become my new favorite stand. But as of right now, I still believe that lone wolf assault stand is the best one out there. Um, and it's an incredible stand and you do not need to make this complicated. And the more I do, I, I hunt with, a, a few different people every year. Some of those are pure gear techie, uh, gearhead kind of guys that are always changing everything, always switching things up. And uh, I see more problems come from that because of lack of uh, the system, not understanding the way things work and how they're going to use this yet in limited time with it and uh, things like that. That it. You know, I mean, I, I see them, you know, sometimes we're setting up uh, two and, and, you know, two sides of a funnel, for example, and, you know, it's dark, it's in the morning, we get out there and uh, four minutes later, I'm in, you know, from, from the time I pick a tree, four minutes later, I'm sitting in it ready to hunt and it's, um, you know, everything's quiet around me, but I can still for the next 15 minutes here, sticks clanking, buck, buckles clanking, uh, bark scraping, things dragging. I can hear them over there, you know, fighting like crazy to get set up 50, 60 yards away from me. It's like, man, you know, the system you're using is not working for you. Uh, but they're raving about it. Oh, man, it saved me so much time on this. It saves me so much of that. Oh, it's so much lighter to carry. I'm just sitting here thinking, I've been in a tree for 15 minutes listening to you make all kinds of racket over there. And uh, my system works just fine. So, like I said, the simpler things are, the less uh, the less there is to deal with. And then the more often you can do it the same way repetitively, the more you develop that, like you said about the Lyman belt, you know, I started using the Lyman belt before they were even available. And then, you know, we were making them with Prusik knots. That's what people were doing at this time. There weren't even full body harnesses out yet. They were still basically, um, you know, we were at that stage where you had a strap around your waist. And then the next year we, they went to a strap that went around your chest Mm -hmm. and shoulder straps on it, but it wasn't a harness. It was just a shoulder strap with, uh, uh, or two shoulder straps and a, and a chest strap on it. And we were sewing our own uh, lineman belt connections onto them to help us. And the the Prusik knot worked. It worked okay, but it was not one hand operationable. So I found myself not doing it right and taking the slack up in this thing and using it like I properly should, where I, so many times I remember telling myself, God, if I were to fall right now, I'm going all the way to the bottom. This belt's not going to bite on this tree. I have way too much slack in it, but I can't let go with both hands right now to adjust this is too complicated where I am and, or I'm too lazy to do it. But so many times that would hit. So I started, um, you know, I started researching and going to, again, no internet. So I started going to every store I could find every catalog. I could, I spent hundreds of dollars trying all kinds of different belay devices and, uh, big bulky ascender systems and things that were in the, the uh, arborist world and, Finally, uh, randomly at REI, I happened to walk by the, the rock climbing case and I saw that um, that uh, rope man one ascender in there. And I went, oh, my gosh. And I grabbed it and then the light clicked and everything changed. And I've been using one for 25 years now, <laughs> but it's one handed adjustable. So I'm constantly making those adjustments. So I'm keeping myself safe. Not only is it faster. And not only is it better, you know, on all levels and lets me sweat less and work less hard and all that, but it's faster, but it's also tremendously safer because I'm, I have that ease of flexibility in setting it. So I'm making that corrections on it all the time, up and down, slack in, slack out, slack in, slack out so that I'm always safe. And that's the key is, uh, you try something, you develop a system, you start working it when you do. You find where the, the pinch points are, the problems are, the things that you don't like and where there's room for improvement, and then you improve on that. And then you develop. You get to a point where you have a system that works so good that there's really no need to change anything. I mean, if it wasn't for that B-stand, 
for example, you know, and, and again, I didn't even buy that. That was a gift to, to me. Um, knowing what I know now, I, I may very well, if it holds up, I'll, I'll sell some of my assaults and buy another one next year. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I am very impressed with that scan. But besides that one, I have not bought a new, I have been using the same tree stand and sticks for 10 straight years. Um, and remember, I'm hanging 150 sets a year, but one set of sticks and one set of stands, or one stand. Now, I have extras, um, some in the boxes, another rig that I bring with me on my out-of-state trips just as a fail-safe or for somebody else that needs it. But really, um, and, and in 2009 was when my original set caught fire in the back of my truck. It burned up in a field. It got stuck and caught on fire, and it burned right there with all of our stuff in there. But if it wasn't for that, I technically could have been using the same lone wolf sticks and lone wolf stand that I started using in like 2005. I could still be using it today without a problem. So, you know, there's when you develop stuff that works and you buy the quality you're looking for and uh, you get it all dialed in, there's no reason to mess with this stuff. Let it be. It works for you perfectly. Like I said, I can be, you know, I did a video that I timed it. I think it was like three and a half minutes from the time I was at the base of the tree till I was set up in a tree with a bow in my hand. You, you, not many people can say they do that, but a lot of the people that can't do it are also changing gear all the time, switching things out, trying different stuff. My system, it's the same system I've been using forever. I have it fine-tuned, and it works like a champ. Yeah, because about two weeks ago when I saw that video, I, I got all the stuff to make the lineman belt, and then I made my, my tree attachment belt when I'm actually up there you know, with, with the rope like you show how to do it. And I showed that to this kid, Zach, when I was, you know, helping him go up the tree and everything. I said, said, this is the way that you hook up with this system on there. And he looked at that. He took it in his hand and he looked at the belt that came with his tree stand that he hooks up to the tree, which is basically some nylon belt that they tie up there. And he's like, dude, this thing has no options, but this thing does. I'm like, yeah, you have the full control of what you want to do. And the biggest thing is, you know, I preach you should buy always American-made if you can get it, but sometimes you just can't find it or something like that. But when you do things like this, you are quality control because you're buying the materials that you can afford or whatever it is, and you're making the best out of it. You know what went into it. You know what its capabilities are. At the same time, you don't know what, you know, some some belt manufactured in, a mach- in, in China somewhere, you don't know if that thing's got stress problems with it or if it's that you're putting your life in, in, in that thing and – risking it you don't know if that thing's actually going to stop you from falling i mean what what is it going to do so these little things that you've put out there just are so practical and help people do it themselves and have more confidence in themselves that it's completely you know uh, unfortunately in today's day and age it's it's unusual it's it's not the it's not the norm anymore whereas back in the 50s and 60s when people actually did things for themselves i i think this would have been like the everyday and Again, pointing to one of your podcasts that has nothing to do with archery. Like, you know, yesterday's normal is today's exception, exceptional. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, this is how all your stuff should be performing when you get, and people look at that and they're like, well, this is, this is outrageous. This is great. Like, that's how it should always be. But people have just accepted something, like lower their standards on something because it's a, you know, it's a fatty gadget or something like that. And that's the mentality that people have today. And for the life of me, I don't understand it, but at least people like you are out there saying, hey, and it's not a lot of people, I'll tell you that, because I have yet to find anybody else out there who's practical when it comes to this sort of thing, you know, and you you, you spend the gamut of all kinds of different subjects with them. You got training things online on how to do things, how to buy cars, you know, that, that, whole, that whole deal, which I'm going to get that course myself when I have to renew my lease, um, that that whole sort of thing you can apply to different parts of your life. And as much as I try to instill this in the kids, I think because I get the kids earlier, they kind of listen to the way that, that I deal with them and they kind of follow it now. Cause I, I start them at four and a half, five years old. I get, and then I get teenagers, that sort of thing. But then the parents are like, these kids are like spitting out everything that you're saying to them. It's like, it's becoming part of their life. I'm like, that's good. Okay. Then, <laughs> then that's fine. I, I try to give them the old-fashioned values of stuff. Like, this is how you're doing this, and this is how you're doing this. And learn how to fix your own stuff. Learn how to make your own stuff. But at the same time, I am very careful what I tell them. I tell them, listen, it's one thing to go ahead and and make your own stuff or to get the, the quality stuff you want to get. Because then I get a lot of people like, 
oh, well, I'm used to doing this and changing this, and I saw this online. When it comes to modding the stuff, be careful what you see online because I see that with bows especially. I've seen people, you know, trad bows are simple. They're easy. I mean, they, they, they're easy to learn as far as how to maintain them. There's not really much there, some basic maintenance, whatever. Compound bows are a little different. I teach all my girls how to work on their own bows and stuff. But there's some stuff where if you learn it online, it's plain dangerous. And I've seen things where people t- tell people how to, you know, you don't have a bow press. Ah, go ahead, stick a screwdriver in here. It'll hold your can back while you, <laughs> while you go ahead and change the string. I'm like, really? You've got to be kidding me. And then, yeah. and then you pointed out ones like, well, people do crazy mods to <laughs> different things that aren't safe or aren't tested. I'm like, yeah, that too. That sort of thing goes on. Uh, I, I just don't get it. But I don't know. You get a lot of people listening to you on I, – I, I guess you have a lot more on your YouTube than you do on the podcast because if, if you had a lot on the podcast, you probably have tens of thousands of listeners, which I, I'm not sure if you do or not, but people should be listening to you in those numbers because you put out a lot of info, a lot of content uh, on a regular basis. I, Because I work a full-time job and all that, and I had other things going on in my life, I used to do a weekly, and then it got to a period where I couldn't do it for like two months, and the kids were wondering if I was okay and all that, but – you keep it up. I mean, you must like preload these things and just have them ready to drop or something like that. But the ability to have all this knowledge to put out there for people, it's no wonder that you have all this online courses and stuff like that because it's like you want to keep all that somewhere and they can actually go and get it. And if they have to pay a little bit of money, which is a value anyway, then it's well worth it to them. Right. And the courses are the only thing I actually charge for because they're, they're like all my, my hidden secrets and the details, you know, that's, uh, um, stuff that, you know, I, I give out enough stuff for free, two videos a week. I mean, there's, there's almost 500 podcasts and over 500 videos on my YouTube channel. So, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of free content out there for, but the courses, yeah, like I said, I got three courses and I charge, I don't charge a lot of money for them, but. Um, those three are, like I said, they're deep, dark secrets that I just don't want everybody to know for free. Cause I don't want them in my hunting spots that they'll learn in there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't like, even on this safe thousands course for the cars, I, I don't want everybody to know how to do this or dealerships won't let this happen. And then next thing you know, I got to start paying more money for vehicles where right now I can get them for 25, 30% off. And, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a skill set that I don't want everybody to know. So you charge for some of that stuff. But uh, you hit a uh, key thing on there, though. All of that stuff, those life lessons, all of the things that you learn, I, I attribute a lot of that to the hunting stuff. I don't think people understand, um, and I didn't at first either, but now spending, you know, 30 years in the woods, you learn that, um, you know, in order to be successful when you're hunting in the woods, you are going to fail all the time. And then you are going to have to really get good at problem solving and you are going to have to really humble yourself and go, you know what? Okay. This didn't work. Or you walk into a spot and you just want to half in there and you're all excited and you're sweating like crazy and exhausted. You just want to set up and be ready to hunt. You get there and you realize there's no deer there. There's nothing happening and you're going to have to leave and you're going to have to hike all the way back out and then spend, uh, you know, now it's going to be, you're only going to have a half hour to hunt somewhere else when you get there. All of these things that are going to happen to you, or you're going to trail a deer and he's going to take you into some horrible places and you're going to have to figure out how to get him out of there. Um, everything about being in the woods is problem solving, failure, a uh, little bit of success and a lot of patience and a lot of brainstorming and thinking. And when you do that after a while, it starts to carry over as a process for everything else in your life. Um, what you want to do with your life financially, um, what you want to do with your life in, in relationships, how you want to do things as far as owning houses, the disciplines that you have with your spending habits, all of these things start to carry over and relate in the process that you resolve those and decide on things is, is along the same lines of the practices you apply in the woods. And it becomes, um, you know, second nature for you. And I think it actually creates some of the best people in the world come from people that are, are bow hunters because of the fact that, of what they have to learn to do that. And bow hunting is something they're passionate about. Um, and so they're forced to learn it there and then it carries over. It's just like, for example, the same concept of trying to teach a, a eight-year-old math. He wants nothing to do with math. But then on the same note, you put him in a video game where he, got, he has to do 
uh, addition and multiplication um, for his uh, to remember how many rounds he's got in his uh, his fake uh, firearm thing on there, how many coins he wins, or um, you know this kind of stuff for what the geometry is of these angles to swing off of this building in the game. You know all these things. He he then he wants to know. He's interested. Yeah. So in order for him to get better in that game, he has to learn all this stuff. And then he carries it over in life. But to teach him in a book and have him sit in a classroom, he wants no part of it. It's that same concept. The woods will teach you how to be a better person. It will teach you how to handle everything life will throw at you. It'll teach you how to be strong when you need to, persevere when you have to, accept failure and turn it into a benefit, not get defensive when things go wrong. It will teach you all of these different things to use them to your advantage. And I think all that comes from time spent in the woods. Yeah, and, you know, we've been on here for 40 minutes already, and, you know, I know your time is very valuable and all that, but this is the last thing I want to go over. And this has to do with, you know, you when people look at your, you know, your um, your story, for for example, you know, I, I've listened to the podcast where you tell about, you know, how you were in debt and the tragedy that had happened in your life and all that. Well, it, you managed to come out of that to become extremely successful at a sheer determination, you know, putting this all together. And now you, you know, like you say, you work a couple of months out of the year and you're hunting the rest of the year. And very few people are able to do that. Um, and it's something that I've tried in the last couple of weeks to, to get the students to understand, like, if you put your mind to it and you're not going to accept failure, even when it comes to your shooting and stuff like that, if you don't give up and you keep going, you will find a way to get through it. And I am, I'm there to help coach you with stuff, but in everyday life, if you don't find your way to get through, then you just can't give up. And no one exemplifies that more than you, you know, the, in, in a story that makes, you know, of the common kind of guy who's going to do this and make, go from a bad situation to a great situation that you have multiple houses and, you know, you, you live the life of someone that, that is truly happy from what I can see in this, um, my my like I said my my neighbor his name was Artie Kaler who who lived upstate in my property uh, next to us and you know twenty five years I, I'm hunting with that guy and he he didn't he's like this he was he was always lived in the country he used to be in the Air Force and he when he when he got out of the Air Force he moved upstate and he lived up there with his family raised a family it's a guy who didn't have much but he was happy with what he had he did whatever he his his one thing that he lived for was hunting. And he lived in an area where he could hunt right outside his door. He didn't have a lot as far as money, but he did what he did how he, to survive and to get by comfortably in what he was doing. I mean, the guy used to dig myrtle, you know, you know, a couple months out of the year and sell the myrtle that, and all that. And he made enough money to get his bills paid, to live the way he wanted. And he said, listen, I can live as comfortable as I want. You know, I can have all this different money working an 80-hour job and this and that. Or I can do what I need to get by and be happy and be the most relaxed guy in the world, which is what he was right up until the day he died. And if people can work out ways to live like Artie or to, to you know, get make something good out of something bad and eventually find a part in their life where, listen, I'm, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. I've, I've made it to do what I want. Then I think if they applied that to all different parts of their life, then, hey, you know, people might become better people. You don't know. So many people are so frustrated with the way things are, you know, everything going on in the political situation today and all that. I stay out of politics, but at the same time, you see it in people's faces. You see that they're not happy about something. And I'm like, listen, forget about everybody else. Work on yourself. See if you can do it. If you need a role model, you know, to look for it, there's people out there that can prove to you that they can do it, that they've done it so that you can do it the same way. I think that you exemplify that. My my friend did. Uh, there's not enough people around who do that, and I think that the message that you bring out to people is, it's possible for just about anybody. Yep, yep. If I can do it, anybody can. And everything is. And I think a lot of people look. They go, well, he has that, so I should have that too. Yeah. It's not necessary. They don't look at the story that came along for it and what they worked for. Everything that we have now and my ability to, you know, my ability to take six months a year off and, and spend it hunting 
came at the fact of me working for that for four straight years to get to that point. And then also, I just don't get to take six months a year off. I now work twice as hard in the other six months to allow me to have six months off. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but on the same note, you know, you got to pick your priorities. You have to pick yourself. I, I, I wear Walmart clothes. I don't own a piece of clothing that costs more than $15. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wear every single day. But it's because that stuff's not important to me. Time to hunt is more important to me. You know, our place we bought in Georgia, we bought it because we spend so much time down there. It was actually a cheaper option um, to just buy a place down there in the long run for us. And so we can hunt and vacation and be down there. So it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't like we bought it because we wanted to buy it to be cool and have a place. It was actually a smarter decision. And even, you know, with one of those, when I started that Amazon company up, you know, which was my first big adventure into something. At the time, I had just lost. My son died. We lost so much money for that. And, and uh, you know, I mean, there was a ton of money and everything. Plus, I was already in debt. Like you said, I was I was hurting pretty bad. Well, I then took four grand and took a course to learn how to sell on Amazon. And I was, you know, we maxed out the last credit card we had to do that. And then I also had to buy product for that to sell on there. So between the course and the 12, uh, four grand, and then the $12,000 in that first product, um, I maxed out a, basically wiped out a whole credit card to do that. And I bombed, I lost all of it. I lost, you know, the, the product bombed. I lost the 12 grand. It was absolutely brutal and miserable. And I was pretty bummed out, but I was determined. You learn again, life teaches you, the woods teaches you failure is acceptable. Learn from it. I did. And then I turned around, I picked myself up, brushed myself off, kept fighting for it, worked other jobs so I could rebound some of that money and then turned around and tried it again. And now that actually turned out to be pretty good. The stuff I learned in that process snowballed me into do other things. It taught me to monetize this podcast and well, not the podcast, but my YouTube channel and affiliate links and everything like that. And it, it turned out to be a, a very good side income. It's, it's a lot of that stuff is, you know, all, everything is a snowball in life and it can go good or it can go bad. It starts out teetering at the top of a ridge, you know, and it can go one way or the other, but eventually when that little snowball rolls off one side or the other, the good side or the bad side, it is going to build momentum and keep going and you can't really turn it around. So you have to make those decisions right at the top. The hard decision when it's that little snowball if it's, you know, and see what it's going to do. And if it's going to keep going down the bad side, let go of it, let it do its thing, climb back up and start over again and then get them going on the right side. Um, you know, but everything bad that you're going to dive into, if you stay in it, you just keep going more and more bad. If you're doing that, you forget that and you go to the good stuff. One thing leads to another. The next thing leads to another. One opportunity opens the door for another opportunity. And it's the same, like you said, doesn't matter if it's the woods or everyday life. This is your world. Doesn't matter what anybody else has. Doesn't matter how they got it. You don't deserve it unless you earn it. And uh, you're going to, the only way you're going to earn it is blood, sweat, tears, and fight for it. And uh, when you, you know, they say, you hear the phrase all the time, well, you got to want it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true. You got to want it. And you got to want it. Yep. does in order to make it happen and if you do that and you devote to it then it's yours it's it's game on you know um but the punches are going to come the hits are going to come the things that are going to knock you back knock you down life is not fair nothing about it is fair and uh you know nobody cares about your feelings nobody cares about your successes nobody cares about your failures nobody cares about you basically in a nutshell other than your immediate family uh, no, nobody cares. The only one it does is you. So you got to do it all on your own for yourself. And, uh, then you get to a point where you go, wow, it's done well. And then your goal then is to help everybody else that you can, so they can experience the same kind of things that you have. And that's what I call a well-rounded life. Oh, that, and that embodies exactly what I try to communicate to these people. I'm like, listen, do this in all aspects of your life and you'll be successful. And, you know, that's why now I point people at your channels to learn stuff for, you know, for anything woodsman, woodsman related. I'm like, here, go to this channel, have a look over there, because chances are what you're asking me, he's got a video on it. And as I go through them, I find the videos. I'm like, here, go to this one. Look at this one. Um, We're making our own YouTube channel now the same way, but we focus on archery stuff for the common people. You know, how to how to fix your own things on your own bow and that sort of thing. I've kind of leaned away from it for a long time because I was afraid, like, someone's going to go ahead and blow up a bow or get hurt, something like that. But 
now it's gotten to the point where my students, I don't see them enough, and they're like, Coach, can you just put something up together where we can go and look at it? So I said, fine, I'll start doing videos, how to tie a loop, how to do this. You know, it, I don't care if I get 100 views or if I get 1,000 views. doesn't make a difference. I just want to keep it practical for them, and that's what I'm going to do. And I think if we do a tenth as well as you're doing as far as getting the message out to people, then I, I think it'll be fine because my only goal with that is to help help my kids and get them going so that they know what, what, they're, what they're doing. And they've been using this podcast as, like, reference going back and forth. So this being episode 38, hopefully they'll keep this one under their hat too and be like, yeah, whenever something's really getting to me and I, I don't know which way I'm going to go, let me go back and listen to that. And then they can get a little bit of inspiration out of your words that came out of this. But, um, yeah. you know, we, I thank you so much for taking the time to come on here. You know, uh, of course, we'll be following you in your videos because I'm sure that your hunting seasons can go really, really well. Ours is just starting over here. So I'm going to be going out there in about another two weeks and see what, uh, see what we can see. We got cameras up and stuff like that. But like I said, cameras are just... Well, it just tells me something's in the area. Doesn't mean it's going to happen that that exact day. Just got to be ready to 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 take care of business myself. And now, you know, the mobile the mobile hunting and that sort of thing. I, I actually think I'll be changing stand positions a couple times in the day. <laughs> Get up there and with, with the the way you teach it now, and of course with the ease and stuff. But uh, again, thanks a lot for for being with us. And it's been a you know a great time here discussing these things with you. Um, if you're ever in New York and you have nothing to do, look me up. You know what I mean? Because uh, yeah. I, I live on Staten Island, and eventually they're going to have to open up a hunting season over here because it's kind of crazy. And we've got world records wa- walking around this place. But it's New York City. What can I tell you? Uh, you right. Yeah. So, again, thank you very much. And, folks, this has been uh, episode 38. If you're, if you're interested in finding – uh, out more about Jason and how he does things. You can visit his channel. Um, it's traditional bow hunting and wilderness podcast and same channel name, I believe on YouTube. He's got tons yep. of information on there. He's got courses that you that have nothing to do with hunting stuff that would probably help you. He's also got a hunting course for those of you who want to learn stuff like that. And I think all of that is just another tool that's available to you. But in certain, certain times you think, Hey, you know, what what am I gonna what am I gonna do? How am I gonna learn something? You know, if you're gonna invest in a tool, not for nothing, tools like he puts out there are probably the right the right way to go. Just look at his video, see what it is, and judge for yourself. But I'll tell you right now, I find every new video he pops out there extremely valuable. And I'm like I'm in archery for over forty years already since since I was a kid, and for me to see something that actually comes up and see and just shows me something new every time. It's truly uh, wonderful. So that'll do it for this episode of the High Power Archery Podcast. Uh, If you want to find out more, you can visit us at our website, highpowerarchery.com. And, of course, you can subscribe to the podcast. And uh, like we always say, it's it's never goodbye. It's until we see you again. Until then, shoot straight and have a great time. And thanks for listening.